May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. They call it a widget. A widget, of course, refers to a mythical device by an, produced by an imaginary company, usually uh, offered in a business lesson. So an economic professor, for instance, might say something like, so company A produces widgets and they need to ship them from Albuquerque to Anchorage or something like that. The company makes widgets. That's what they do. And some sophomore will ask in that lecture, so what's a widget? And the professor will say, it's not important. And the student will say, but what is it? And the professor will say, well, it doesn't exist. And then the sophomore will say, well, then how do they make it? Well, they don't. It doesn't exist. It's an imaginary thing. It's a literary device to kind of help explain that um, companies make stuff, manufacture goods. It can represent any of that sort of thing. And so it's a fictional item, which it is, um, to represent real items. It's, it's important to use a, something like a widget rather than something real like a yo-yo because it avoids ancillary conversations. You don't have to talk about other things. You just talk about just the, the idea of it. You may know this, however, that the Android phone this, um, has used their um, what they call graphic interface devices and they start calling them widgets. They ruined a perfectly good word, a word that meant nothing, that had no kind of idea, and now suddenly has something. It was, a, it was a fine word, a word that describes nothing, now describes something, something specific. They ruined it. And I loved the word widget. I love the beauty of ambiguity contained in a widget. Like, it, it describes something that doesn't exist, and that's sort of an anomaly. It sort of stands alone as a word in, in the lexicon of, of something that's nothing. It was beautiful, and now it's destroyed. Now, you have to, don't get me wrong, I, I, don't, I don't normally like, the, you know, imprecise things. I like the precision of language. I love the precision of language. I think that, that people ought to study multiple languages for no other reason than the fact that you really begin to understand what words mean. That they have uh, layers to them and, and there's depth of meaning. And, and so it's really important to understand language and words because in most cases, our words mean something. Now, if you look at different languages, like, um, for instance, uh, look at uh, Spanish and aqua as water. Right, so pretty easy kind of um, translation, or or words like vino, which means wine. <laughs> it's Italian, you know. So yeah, you need water and wine. It, simple words that kind of almost have a, a, a direct um, uh, translation. But I was thinking about a word that I heard from a friend a long time ago, simpatico. I don't know if you're familiar with this word, simpatico. It, it's a difficult word to translate because it has all these layers of meaning. If you stuck it in a Google translator, it probably comes out like nice. But simpatico means more than nice. It's, it's, it's mannerly. It's, it's, it's a sense of decency. It's kindness. Um, it's a person who, who gets along well with others through mutual respect. And so all of this is, is kind of wrapped up. And, and so if anybody ever says that to you, they're giving you a high compliment. Um, words mean something. And there's a depth of meaning to some words that I think that, that we really needs to be kind of worked through. I love to think about words like this. 
There's another word I want to think about today, and it's the word discipleship or disciple. Mathetes in Greek is the word in the New Testament. And um, if anybody knows anything about discipleship, a disciple is a learner, is a pupil. But more than that, right? A disciple is not just a pupil, it's a follower, a person who, who um, is kind of really involved in following one another. I, I heard the word used yesterday watching a football game. They were talking about this particular coach. And since I was watching about seven different games at the same time, I'm not sure which, game, which team it was. But this one particular coach, they talked about him being a disciple of, his, of another coach. And what they were saying was that his defensive schemes are the same as his predecessor, you know, the, the one that he learned from. That he's a disciple. So, so Bill's a disciple of John. How so? In that Bill does things like John did things. That they do things the same way. Someone with just a casual familiarity with the New Testament, with the Gospels, would know that there were people who followed Jesus called disciples. And a lot of us think, well, those were those 12 men who were really closely followed Jesus, and they went everywhere he went, and they eventually became the leaders of the church. And they indeed were disciples, but there were many more disciples than this, the 12. Uh, Mary and Martha were disciples of Jesus. Lazarus was a disciple of Jesus. At one point, Jesus sends out 70 disciples to go on a preaching and healing mission. There were a lot of disciples. Disciple is one who learns from another. In Mark's gospel, he has been moving us along towards Jerusalem. Jesus is on a path to Jerusalem. You remember, he says this plainly, that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and suffer and be killed and the third day rise again. And you remember one of his closest friends, his closest disciples, Peter, said, no, 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 don't do that. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. You know, this, this is what I have to do. Follow me. He goes on to say, and if anyone wishes to come after me, anyone wishes to follow me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Right? Anyone wants to come after me. Follow me. So when we hear words like follow... We ought to be thinking in terms of disciple. This is what a disciple does. A disciple follows, learns from, lives it out. And so in Mark, he's trying to get us to do two things throughout the gospel. The first is, he's trying to get you and me to answer this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's what Mark wants us to ask, or answer rather, to the question that he keeps posing over and over again. Who is this person, Jesus? The second thing he wants us to do is to get us to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower? And so the story today, Jesus is in Jericho and he's on his way out. And as he's on his way out, there's this crowd. It's like gets around him. I kind of imagine like a parade, don't you? You know, like there are people sort of out in front and Jesus is walking through the city streets and there are just people everywhere. They're beside him and they're behind him and they're in front of him and they're making a lot of noise and, and they're... You know, it's a, it's a big event. And then Mark says there was a man on the side of the road. Here's what he begins. Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho. And he and his disciples in a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. Um, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, is saying the same thing twice. Bartimaeus means in, in Aramaic, son of Timaeus. <laughs> so he, Mark gives it to us both in, in Greek and in Aramaic. This, this man, son of Timaeus, he has a name. People know who he is. He's not just some blind beggar. He's a person. He's a, a human being. 
that has a father and a family and, and people know him and he's sitting beside the road and Jesus happens by. He's begging because there's not a lot of work for blind people in the ancient world. Uh, you know, not many blind carpenters or fishermen or brick masons. Uh, they don't, there's nothing much they can do but sit and beg and that's what he does. And on this ancient road in this ancient city where the people are going through with this festival, he's sitting there begging. Um, he hears the crowd. Of course he does, because when you're blind, now the other senses are, are, are acute, aren't they? And, and so he hears the crowd, and he, he knows something's going on, and he asks somebody, hey, what's happening? And they answer him. They tell him, Jesus of Nazareth, whose famous is spread all around, is coming by. And you know what? Bartimaeus knows exactly who Jesus is. The reputation has preceded him. He's a healer. He's a miracle worker. He, he's, he's a teacher. He's done great things and, and people are following. But Bartimaeus knows more about Jesus than that. He knows who Jesus really is. Mark loves irony. The, the Gospel writer Mark loves irony. Nobody seems to know who Jesus is. But a blind man knows who he is. Yeah, you see this. The blind man says, Jesus, son of David. He calls him by a messianic title. He's not just a teacher, a preacher, a healer. He's not just a prophet. He's the Messiah. And Mark should make, he's making us laugh. We should be like thrilled. Oh my, the blind man sees him. And what do the people say? Oh, be quiet. Hush up. They're annoyed. They're embarrassed. <laughs> don't. Don't do that. You be quiet. Get over to the side of the road. But all the more he yells, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus comes to him and asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Do you remember last week, sir? <laughs> if you, I, back one week ago, James and John come to Jesus. Father Lawrence preached this. And James and John come to Jesus and what do they say? You come into your kingdom, we want the right and left seats. We want power places, right? We want the places of power and influence. And they don't get it. Close disciples of Jesus are blind to the kingdom. And a blind man has his eyes open to the kingdom. What do you want? I want to see again. Did you catch that? Not just I want to see, I want to see again. He's seen before, hasn't he? He knows what he's lost. I want to be able to see again. And Jesus says to him, go. Your faith has saved you. That's literally what he says. Your faith has saved you. And this is where it gets kind of interesting. What would you do if you had not seen for a long time, your sight had been gone, and suddenly it's restored? What would you do with this restored sight? Would you go and see your parents? Oh, mom and dad, I haven't seen your You know, would you, would you go to a museum? Would you find a pretty lady? Oh, you want to sight for sore eyes. You know, would, what would you do? Or a, a handsome gentleman? I, oh, my. What a great thing to see. What does he do? He gets up and he follows Jesus on the way. Immediately he regained his sight, Mark says, and followed him on the way. Bartimaeus has become a follower of Jesus. And Mark wants us to hear that. He's following him 
disciple. You know, we live in a culture that is filled with information. This is I mean, often called the information age, right? That We have more information at our fingertips, literally at our fingertips. Not even metaphorically, but, you know, I was going to pull out a phone, touch it. You know, we at our... And yet we are often, I think, the least educated culture in, in the world. In the history, we, we know... You used to be able to play Trivial Pursuit. Remember we could do this? And now we say, I don't know about you, but I sit around and my brain is like strawberry jam. I'm like, I think I used to know that, but I don't anymore. Let me consult Google, who seems to know everything. Um, wait, wait a minute, let me pull out my device. We know everything and nothing at the same time. We can ask somebody how far away is the sun or how many great white sharks there are in the ocean or, you know, what's the deepest part of the Black Sea. And in seconds, they can answer that question. And not because they know it, but because they have a device that seems to know it. I think another irony of the information age is what is happening to our humanity. That we are becoming less and less humane, less and less decent in the world. And almost daily we hear of human tragedies that are of unthinkable horror. And it happens all the time. We become numb to it. You know, not too long ago, a man went into a school and shot little children. And this past weekend, do you just think about it? Did you really check the news at all this weekend? In between a few football games, there were some other things happening. A Florida man sends pipe bombs to people who disagree with his politics. A man in Louisville, Kentucky this weekend went to a church that was an African-American church and was trying to get in, but they had just locked the doors. And so he left there and went to a grocery store and shot people for having the audacity to be black. Killed them. And you know what happened in Pittsburgh yesterday. A man walked into a synagogue and begins to shoot people. Eleven people that last I heard died. Others still in the hospital. We are filled in our, in our world with information. And we are blind to the truth at the same time. We have all kinds of information. And we have lost our morality, our decency as, as human beings. What is the answer? Yes, Jesus. And the only, people, the only way people will ever see Jesus is when they see him in us. In committed followers of Jesus Christ. This is God's plan for the world. This was his whole plan. <laughs> that the Lord is going to come, live, die, rise again, ascend into heaven. And he is going to live in the people who follow him. Discipleship is the answer to the world. Mark knew that then. We need to know that now. That God's only plan is to live through us and to demonstrate his plan of rescue for the world through ordinary people like you and me. Mark, always the clever writer, if you, if you were to read this in, in his original, it's just, it's, he's so clever. And these little things that pop up. One is he uses this little prepositional phrase on the end. He followed, that Bartimaeus gets up and he followed Jesus, most translations say, on the way. That's not what Mark says. He says, in tone hado, in the way. He follows him in the way. And this is, this is intentional. 
Mark could have used other prepositions, but he follows him in the way, and I think there's at least three layers of meaning to that. The first is the most basic. He just got up and walked behind Jesus. The second is that, that he followed him in lifestyle. That Bartimaeus followed Jesus in the way that Jesus lived. That what would Jesus do was, was Bartimaeus' idea long before it was anybody else's to put it on a bracelet. He followed him in the way. And the third one is that the way was the name of the church. This before we were ever called um, Christians. We were people of the way. Because we followed Jesus in the way. And so Mark has all of this kind of wrapped up in Bartimaeus. That he's a follower of Christ. A member of the church. Um, last week, we saw what discipleship is not. It's not grasping for power. This week, the blind man shows us what discipleship is. It's following Jesus. My former professor, uh, Ben Weatherington from Asbury, gave these little bullet points about how Bartimaeus does discipleship well. He says he knows he needs Jesus' help. He knows he needs Jesus. He cannot do for himself what he needs done. He persistently calls on Jesus and will not be silenced. He calls on him. Again and again. And when people say, shut up, don't do that, he keeps doing it anyway. He pleads for mercy. Kyrie Elizan, Lord have mercy. He doesn't demand it. He knows he has no right. He's not entitled to anything. He recognizes the truth about Jesus, that he is the son of David, the Messiah. And he leaps at the chance to draw close to the Lord. Ah. That's discipleship, isn't it? Leaps at the chance to draw close to the Lord. He asks to see again. He knows what he's lost. His faith has a proper object. It's in Jesus. And lastly, he uses his restored sight to follow the Lord on the road of discipleship. That's what discipleship is about. It's about learning from Jesus. Following Jesus. Living out the life of Jesus in this world. And it is God's plan to rescue the world. If words mean something, what does the word disciple mean to us? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.